We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from Wild Turkey Kentucky Straight Bourbon Whiskey. Let's tune in to their one-on-one with Jamal, a real bartender from Old Fourth Ward in Atlanta. I really get into the backstory of whatever I'm pouring. Out of respect. There are literally years of experience behind these bottles. Wild Turkey, same recipe since 1942. If you want a true classic, this is what you want to order. Wild Turkey. Wild Turkey Distilling Company, Lawrenceburg, Kentucky. Copyright 2020, Campari, American, New York, New York. Never compromise, drink responsibly. Geico presents sharing versus oversharing. Way early this morning, Brad Higdon shared a major spoiler alert from everyone's favorite hit show. Sad emojis to express his feelings about the plot twist and a playlist he made to drown out his sorrows. Dude, oversharing alert. Brad, Geico has something worth sharing with those who haven't defriended you. Like how you could save hundreds on your car insurance at Geico.com. So stop moping about the post-apocalyptic world and start saving in the real world. Geico. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more on car insurance. Welcome to the RotoWire Fantasy Football Podcast brought to you by DraftKings.com, the leader in daily fantasy sports. Use the promo code RotoWire when you make your deposit for a free contest entry today. It's Monday, August 17th. All 32 teams have played at least one preseason game. The season, it feels, is drawing closer. It actually feels like draft season is upon us. Uh, this podcast is available for subscription on iTunes and Stitcher, so please leave us a nice review if you happen to be listening to us on those platforms. It's a good way to really support the pod, uh, since this is kind of a free offering that we we put out there on behalf of, of Rotowire. Uh, Derek Van Riper here with Clay Link. Uh, busy weekend for you, Clay. Big move. Yeah, uh, big move. Moving across town. Yeah, it was hectic, and the you know 90-degree heat didn't help at all, but... 
successful nonetheless and you know happy to be fully moved in working today to make up for one of those two days off work but uh you know it just kind of dawned on me you know I was living with some friends but uh you know I'm 27 now I just need to live alone I want to get a dog <laughs> as well so had to make that move yeah the um post-college life where you still live as though you're in college probably does get old after a few years it so where's on you. well congratulations on the big move Thanks. and, and uh, way to way to survive because as you alluded to it was just it was nasty like yeah. it was all over the country it's hot and humid it was like 90 degrees the hottest day of the year yeah hottest like, days probably of the year. and the half the city was moving friday saturday here in mm-hmm. madison with all the, the college kids having to shuffle around and uh even the non-college kids of course moving to tons of news from the weekend we're going to recap week one of the preseason slate as well uh, we'll start with the falcons and their running backs both Devonte freeman and tevin coleman back at practice on monday of course they did not play in the preseason opener so to me this is one of those job battles i'll be monitoring very closely uh, as we move through the rest of the summer uh, coleman versus freeman adps it seems like coleman's a little higher at least in the nffc right now which back do you prefer? Do you prefer the cheaper option, or do you look at Coleman as the guy that simply has the higher ceiling even in year one? Well, you know, I do like Coleman, but he's not, you know, a whole, primarily because he's not a whole lot more expensive than Freeman, and especially in PPR. I think, you know, the the gap between those guys is pretty small. And, you know, looking at our rankings, we have Coleman, and this is standard, 32nd, Devontae 35. I think Coleman you know, maybe undervalued a bit. I, I do think Freeman in PPR, you know, makes for a decent option if you're going with zero RB, but not somebody I really see a ton of upside with. Coleman, I think maybe undervalued a bit uh, in, in standard leagues for sure. Uh, somebody that if, if I am going zero RB as an RB1, definitely risky, but I think there's, there's at least some upside there. And there should be at least, you know, I'd say 12 to 16 carries uh, at a minimum. Yeah, a guy that I think, as we've said before, has been overshadowed perhaps in college by Melvin Gordon being in the same conference. But Coleman, on an Indiana team that had fewer weapons than Wisconsin did offensively, went over 2,000 yards last year and had some big games against Michigan State, Ohio State, some of the premier defenses in the conference. Even in situations where teams knew he was getting the ball, they really could not Mm -hmm. stop him. So I'm with you. I like Coleman a little more than Freeman. I I think they're both capable as pass catchers, though, too. So you're probably looking at a timeshare even if Coleman emerges to get 60% of the touches, I think Freeman could be useful in deep PPR leagues, at least once we get to the bye weeks. Uh, yeah. Taking a look here at some other news, Des Bryant resting after uh, stuffing a hamstring injury recently. He's probably going to sit until next week uh, through Sunday's preseason game against San Francisco. Anything actionable here or just one of those injuries that uh, the team looks at Des Bryant and says, hey, this is our only piece offensively for Tony Romo to throw to we just got to take it easy with him. Yeah, you just got to get this, you know, get out ahead of the injury, get it knocked out of the way, you know, well ahead of uh, any any meaningful games. And, you know, especially after, you know, you inked him to that deal, you just want to be sure he's completely healthy. I'm not worried about it. In fact, I mean, I was doing some of these MFL 10 leagues, and it seems like his stock may be jumping up a little bit. I, I kind of like Odell Beckham. I do like Odell Beckham more than, than Brian even uh, – you know, don't know if that's really the safe call. I think Bryant, you know, obviously far more proven. I just think Od- Odell Beckham, you know, the, the talent's just so through the roof. And even with Victor Cruz back, I think, you know, still see a ton of targets. I just think he's he's got slightly higher ceiling this year. But Bryant, it seems like people are, you know, the, the floor with him and the proven 
uh, commodity that he is, people are, are maybe uh, starting to, to reach a little bit uh, you know, earlier in the first round to get a guy like that. Yeah, I've seen him go, I think, as high as like fifth or sixth overall. But if you give me the choice, Bryant versus Julio Jones, I actually take Julio Jones. Yeah. I think being on turf, being in a situation where uh, the defense may not be as good as Dallas's defense, so Atlanta may have to throw more. Overall volume could be there, even though Julio Jones does share some looks uh, with Roddy White. Do you think the Cowboys are going to be throwing it more, or do you think they remain with the heavy ground attack, even though uh, not a lot of great options back there? I think they're going to have to stay with a pretty balanced ground attack. I, mean, I think that was yeah. a big part of their success overall as a team last year. And even with that, Dez was such a target monster that yeah. it didn't matter. So I don't think this volume really goes down. I think they there is that possibility it goes up. I just don't think that's enough of a lock to where I'd want to go ahead and, and bump them up above the other elite receivers. I, I like Beckham more, and I like Julio Jones more. Uh, I certainly see the case for uh, Bryant, Demarius Thomas, all four of those guys, and Antonio Brown, of course. You can argue really that whole top five in any order that you want, and I don't think there's anything really wrong mm-hmm. with that uh, at this point. I'm with you, though. I'll just say that you know I think you know you lose DeMarco. I just don't think it's by any means a lock that Dez is going to see a heavier workload, more targets. Uh, but that shouldn't deter you much from, from taking a guy like that. I, I'm with you, though. I do like Jones and Beckham more. It's been rumored for at least a week or so now. Now it's a finally official as of Monday evening. Chris Johnson has agreed to a one-year contract with the Arizona Cardinals. Uh, I didn't really realize this. Uh, Johnson was actually uh, the victim of a drive-by shooting, and that shooting uh, took the life of one of his friends over the yeah. course of the offseason. It's been a horrible offseason for Chris Johnson, uh, understandably so, after after that incident. Um, he ends up in Arizona uh, after all the pieces finally fall. This is a team that needs depth, really, behind Andre Ellington, and they've got an unproven rookie in David Johnson as sort of the, the alternative right now there. The thing I didn't realize about Chris Johnson is that in his final season in Tennessee, he played... Uh, with a, an injury in his knee. He had mm. like a, a, a torn ligament in his knee, played through it. Yeah. So I, I wonder if the struggles that Chris Johnson had that year really were just simply attributed to health and, and not as much of a loss of skill as we might think. I mean, I'm looking at this situation. If Andre Ellington's healthy, I think Johnson is kind of the number two guy. You know, maybe a PPR consideration in bye weeks. That's the extent of his value. But if Ellington goes down, in that offense with Carson Palmer healthy, some quality options in the passing game to open things up a little bit, this could be his best situation that he's played in going back several years. I'm not mm-hmm. saying he's going to go back to being CJ2K or anything crazy like that. I mean, I, I just think he could be a little more competent than we've given him credit for, especially last year. I think it was 4.3 yards per carry with the Jets, quite a bit higher than you'd mm-hmm. expect. And that was with a team that teams knew were just going to try to run the ball like crazy. Yeah, I mean, you look at the the game log and it was he was under three and a half yards per carry and in three of his final four games and that was when he was seeing a heavier workload but yeah the overall numbers impressive on a team where you know you're seeing eight nine in the box pretty much uh all the time you know they, they just defenses did not have to gear up to stop the pass whatsoever I do think you know this is a pretty good situation for him but I'm with you. You know, he's going to be playing second fiddle to Ellington, I think, so long as Ellington is healthy. And even if Johnson does get a crack in the primary role, I don't really see him being more than a you know, borderline RB2 flex type of guy. I just think at his age, it's hard to really trust him uh, to give you much more than that. But at the same time, uh, you know, if the opportunities are there, 
he should at least you know be serviceable even if even at his age if he's not you know just a shell of his former self uh it's all about reps you know if, when, you, when you look at the flex and, and our you know late end or low end rb2s i think he fits that mold especially in these like redraft or these you know draft only type of leagues where you are taking guys who you know late and you know picks 10 to 20 that could have a, a chance to really emerge i think he he makes for a decent pick there not somebody I've, i'm really targeting in like 10 team leagues though uh as a as a guy who's going to help me right away for me it's a little surprising that houston didn't bring him in for a workout at least not publicly mm-hmm. by any indication uh, by the way that injury i've referenced before it was a, a torn meniscus not a, a torn ligament but nevertheless i mean playing through mm-hmm. that that's going to significantly impact a player especially at the running back position and you, you could see it you just didn't have quite that same burst back in 2013 but Johnson apparently healthy here as he now begins the next stage of his career in Arizona moving on to a few other injury items LeGarrette Blunt back in 11 on 11 drills he's been slowed by a knee injury did not appear in that Thursday preseason opener against Green Bay obviously has that suspension in week one which should open the door uh, for Jonas Gray so just uh, something to keep an eye on there health-wise LeGarrette Blunt Seems to be fine. Uh, Sammy Watkins left practice early on Monday due to a glute injury. Not really clear if it's related to the previous hip surgery that he's had, but by all indications, this is a minor ailment. We'll see if it turns into anything more. Uh, Eddie Royal was apparently a standout during Bears training camp. This is according to uh, those who observe the team on a day-to-day basis. Uh, Obviously, the issue here is that Kevin White is going to miss significant time, at least the first six games, possibly the entire season. He's going to have surgery uh, for that shin injury that's been slowing him down. And the question there becomes, is Eddie Royal the guy? Does Martellus Bennett get more targets? Is Marquise Wilson possibly going to rise into a more prominent role? How do you see the Bears adjusting to life without Kevin White? You know, I think it is Wilson who really takes on you know larger share of the targets. Uh, but But Royal is interesting just in that, you know, it's just somebody that goes drafted every year that, you know, come weeks two or three, he ends up getting picked up on the waiver wire. Somebody ends up, you know, using him because he's he gets off to a hot start. And he's usually, when it's all said and done, numbers are serviceable. But uh, even in light of this, you know, even though he looks to have a clear path to significant targets, still going to end up in that same boat. You know, I think he's going to go undrafted in most leagues, and rightfully so because, uh I just think, I think Wilson is is the guy that uh, on this team that they want to get somebody younger, jump started. Might as well, you know, give him the looks, see what he can do, and then maybe you fall back on the veteran Royal. I think what could happen though in Chicago is the defense still should be pretty bad. They were horrendous last year, so even with some improvement, they could be bottom third of the league or one of the five worst team defenses. With that, you get volume in the passing game. Maybe Royal and Wilson can both kind of coexist, sharing yeah, that maybe. role and. You know, I think Wilson has a lot more upside, but in a full-point PPR league, at least in the short term, Royal probably gets a little bit more of an upgrade for me. It's just a, he's he's a guy that we've talked about him on the pod before that it's so easy to be wrong about him week to week. It almost mm. seems like he's matchup dependent as far as when he's actually going to show up and produce versus when he's going to have a lesser role. At least that was the case throughout his time in San Diego and even back during his time in Denver. Uh, for a good chunk of his time as a member of the Broncos. Yeah, sixty. I mean, 62 catches last year, nothing to uh, sneeze at for sure. Just a matter of him repeating that kind of target efficiency, 62 catches on 91 targets. Uh, you know, Phillip Rivers pretty accurate. Don't know if you could bank on Jake Cutler getting the ball in the right spot uh, quite as often. 
Deshaun Jackson could return from his shoulder injury to play in Washington's third preseason game, meaning he will not play this coming week, but all signs point to him being ready once the games begin to count. Uh, is Deshaun Jackson a little bit undervalued? I mean, he's a guy that's just so explosive. He had 13 plays last year, 13 catches of 40 or more yards. The next closest player had eight. Uh, is this a guy that, because he can do so much after the catch, also is critical to the success of that Washington offense overall? Because if you look behind him, Pierre Garçon's coming off a pretty disappointing season a year ago. Andre Roberts doesn't do much for me. The depth receivers there don't offer a lot of upside. Uh, they've got an injury at tight end now. Niles Paul's down for the year, so Jordan Reed will once again be pushed into a prominent role if he's healthy. Injury has been a major problem for Jordan Reed. Uh, so, what, what's your take on Jackson and, and his importance to this Washington offense? Yeah, I think he's very important. I mean, critical, really. And I do think he's being undervalued quite a bit. I mean, you look at the uh, ADP right now in PPR, it's about 59. And you know, that's behind Jeremy Macklin, Brandon Marshall, Jarvis Landry, even Sammy Watkins, Amari Cooper. You mentioned the big playability, and I think he, if he gets more stability out of that quarterback position, which is, you know, no lock. But if RG3 is able to stay healthy, yeah, Pierre Garçon kind of fades a little bit. Uh, I, I think Jackson could be a guy who, you know, not so much last year, but uh, in, in 2013, was, I think it could be a similar situation where he's just going – Far lower than he should. He ends up being uh, top twenty wideout. I could definitely see the top twenty wideout, uh, assuming no setbacks here yeah. with that shoulder injury. Let's start diving into these preseason recaps. We'll start with the Packers Patriots. Packers twenty two eleven winners in this one. Tom Brady very limited action, just one of four for ten yards. Uh, Jimmy Garoppolo played almost the entire game. He finished twenty for thirty, one hundred and fifty nine yards. He did throw a pick in this one. He was sacked seven times. The blocking in front of him was horrendous. Mm -hmm. It was not a case. From what I saw in this game, it wasn't Jimmy Garoppolo standing around in the pocket too long and being indecisive. It was just the Packers defense slicing through mm -hmm. uh, the Patriots offensive line. Mix of backups and, and third stringers likely to blame for that. Uh, anything to take away here from Garoppolo's performance? Because depending on the outcome of the Tom Brady suspension appeal, there is still that possibility that Garoppolo begins the season as the Patriots' starting quarterback? You know, I think if there's anything to really take away, it's just that he's not a, uh, you know, full-season you know, option really at all. Even in uh, two QB leagues, I mean, if you are if you take Brady and you're desperate for another QB uh, to plug in there when he's suspended, I guess. But, uh, yeah, I mean, the, the offensive line giving him no help and uh, a lot of, a lot of short passes, you know. that the, the line speaks to that 20 for 30 only 159 yards. I think it's, you know, he's just not advanced enough as a player and doesn't have Belichick's uh, trust enough for him to really open up the playbook. I think we're going to see this when the regular season starts. A lot of short passes, a lot of safe plays, uh, and not a lot of numbers that are going to help fantasy owners. And there was no Gronk in this one either. Yeah, you take true. Gronk away from that Patriots offense, and it's pretty terrible. all bets are off as far as the, the pass catchers go. So, I mean, seeing very limited time with starters in general and not having Gronk. Kind of but do you think, off. think Belichick's going to allow him to, you know, do those over the middle, you know, risk high risk throws to Gronk that, that we see Brady uh, attempt frequently? Maybe a little bit, but I, I think they'll dial that back a lot. I think you're going to see a, a ton of the running backs. I mean, Jonas Gray uh, had a nice long touchdown run in this one, a 55 yarder to be precise, seven carries for 74 yards in total. Uh, really showed good burst on that run. It looked like it was mostly 
second string defenders in the game at that time for Green Bay. A couple uh, starters in the secondary were still there, but some pretty nice blocking. I think James Devil in the fullback really kind of sprung Gray on that play, but he has a little more speed mm-hmm. than I realized. And again, maybe that was because he was running against the second team defense at the time, but uh, Jonas Gray, at least in week one, I think is going to be an intriguing player to look at for DraftKings purposes, yeah. that matchup against the Steelers, if you're going to play the full slate and lump in that Thursday game with the Sunday contest. You know, I think Gray's a pretty nice player, and I think, you know, after that huge game he had late last year and he just kind of faded, you know, he got in Belichick's doghouse, and that's not a good place to be, and uh, typically I like to avoid Patriots' backs altogether, but he's somebody that I think, you know, the cost is so low. You know, maybe it's rising a bit right now, but it's so low to where I think you could profit for sure if you hit, you know, it's kind of a lottery ticket pick. Definitely could hit big if he ends up taking that, and you never know. I mean... Blunt suspended for the first week. You never know if Gray gets a hot hand. Maybe Blunt comes back. Has you know if he fumbles once early, uh, you never know. He could be right in in the spot Gray was in late last year, where he's in the doghouse and uh, roll scaled back a lot. Probably going to fluctuate throughout the year. You know, Gray uh, may take a back seat. Uh, you know, after some mistakes or if he struggles uh, for a prolonged stretch. But I think you know you, you take you take a guy like Gray to help you early. Uh, with a late round pick, and uh, you don't you don't get too attached. And if he if he flounders, you cut bait. But if if he hits big, I mean that's going to really separate you. Looking here at the backfield beyond Jonas Gray, James White seems to be the leading candidate to serve as the Patriots' primary pass catching back. Uh, he has held in four catches for fifty two yards in this one. I think the question here is just that you know if, if he could be a Shane Vereen type we should be excited about him at the price he's at right now but do you believe that James White will be utilized in that way cuz I'd say if there's one weakness for both Gray and LeGarrette Blunt it's that you really just don't see them get used much as pass catchers yeah i, I don't really see him being that prominent in the offense you know i just think he will be kind of a true third down guy who who sees opportunities whereas Vereen was really kind of uh, a guy you could see swinging out of the backfield, catching passes, you know, at any time, at any p- point on the field, is all about the, you know, the packages they use. They didn't, uh, they they would put him there on there on first and second down uh, quite a bit actually, and I just don't really see Gray taking on that kind of role, and and thus I don't really see him as an option outside of very deep PPR, and even then I don't really see any uh, scenarios where you're going to be uh, comfortable starting a guy like that. On the Packers side of this one, everything was pretty standard. Aaron Rodgers played reasonably well for the series that he played. Only 6.2 yards per attempt. That's a bit low, but uh, no picks and only sacked twice. And I think you, you don't worry too much about a few series from, from Rodgers. And he's, he's going to be plug and play when the season goes, uh, when the season gets underway. But uh, the one thing I'm really curious to see with the Packers throughout this preseason and in the early weeks of the regular season, too, I want to see how they use Ty Montgomery. Uh, I think he may have a role beyond the return game at some point. Could require an injury to one of the receivers ahead of him. But what I didn't realize, he's not just a return specialist. He's not just this little fast guy. He's 6'2", 216 pounds. I think there's going to be a little more there long-term as a receiver. Maybe a project of sorts, but a guy that could significantly uh, rise in value. Again, if, if injuries strike and if the Packers really don't get comfortable throwing to Richard Rodgers or Brandon Bostick, or I think Bostick's gone now, but... As far as the, the tight ends go, like they really don't have anyone to replace your Michael Finley yet. And I think as mm-hmm. that goes on further, they're going to be looking more towards their depth receivers to help pick up some of that slack because that was something that was really missing last season. Yeah, everybody talks about Devontae Adams being you know an injury away from 
you know, a huge role being a fantasy monster, but you got to look at Montgomery and think he's really just one injury away from a pretty, pretty big spot in this offense. I mean, he'd probably be the, a slot guy, but you know, if Nelson or Cobb were to go down, but still a lot to like as a slot guy in that offense, a lot to, uh, a lot of passes to go around, a lot of targets in that offense. And, you know, I really don't think, I think he's flying away under the radar. I think you could get him, uh, for for pennies realistically but um yeah it, it is risky I, I don't really see him becoming you know even what Devonte was last year even close to that uh even you know late last year Devonte really kind of came on uh, i don't think you can expect anything like that but uh you know people say you know nelson cobb you know both have had injury issues one could go down what if both go down and then it's it's Devonte in Montgomery and I think that's really the only situation where Montgomery would have significant value uh, but there is that that chance the short list of ways you could really take a lot of value away from Aaron Rodgers though would be a scenario in which both Jordy Nelson and Randall Cobb are down for a significant period of time I think that would be a major blow to anybody who's taken Aaron Rodgers early in their draft or paid top dollar for him in an auction I think you could make anybody good at at receiver you know he's like Manning where you know, no matter what what he has around him, he's going to make those guys good. But uh, that would definitely hurt because that explosiveness, the yards after catch, uh, that loss would be big. Yeah, it seems like that'd be a major, major drop in his value. But for now, they're healthy, and hopefully, for the sake of those who've already drafted, they do stay healthy all season. Uh, let's, let's take a look here at the Lions and Jets. Lions twenty three three winners in this one. Amir Abdullah continues to impress. Seven carries for sixty seven yards. Golden Tate impressive after the catch and a long. 35-yard TD reception, uh, really not much on the Matthew Stafford throw, but he found Tate open in space, and Tate made things happen after that. Uh, looking at the third receiver battle, too, here, I mean, Greg Salas versus Lance Moore could be sort of interesting, only because I think the Lions may have to throw more than they want to. They've talked about trying to dial back the mm-hmm. attempts for Matthew Stafford. If they don't, someone else there has to step up. Maybe it's Eric Ebron from the tight end spot in year two, and third receiver ends up being kind of a useless spot of sorts in Detroit but uh, when you look at this depth chart right now is there anyone you like behind Megatron and Tate or do you think it is going to be Ebron who steps up yeah I don't really like you know Salas or more don't really see those guys you know emerging as as viable fantasy options I think Ebron he's pretty interesting just given how low the prices you know if you're talking about as a, you know you're looking at a second tight end i think you could do a lot worse than he's undervalued quite a bit as is austin safarian jenkins i'll just say that i think he's uh you know even with evans being you know a great red zone target i think you know, they're going to look to get him involved in the red zone as well but getting back to amir abdullah i mean i like the guy don't get me wrong and I have serious concerns about Joyke Bell this year, but the price on Abdullah is soaring right now. Some of the drafts I've done recently, I've seen him go as high as you know late third round. That's nuts. Yeah, insane. Early fourth, and I just think you know probably soaring price soaring higher than you know the stock is rising quicker than any other players in in the NFL right now. I think at that price, I'm probably out, but I certainly see the argument. Uh, maybe not that high, but maybe early fifth. Uh, or, or or sixth round with Abdullah. I just think, uh, though, with, with Joyke, 
still working his way back. I mean, he he still has the job, so I think you'd need like a, a pretty significant setback to warrant anything higher. I do think Abdullah gets a nice little bump in PPR leagues. Even though Joyke Bell has proven capable of catching passes in the past, I don't think you can use him as an every-down player. I think physically he'd break down, and I think you'd see a lot less in terms of overall efficiency per touch in that scenario. On the Jets' side of this one, I've got nothing to contribute here. I mean, they scored three points. Uh, their quarterback got punched in the jaw last week, and uh, is out mm. several weeks as a result, as we know. Uh, Bryce Petty went 10 of 18 for 50 yards. Ryan Fitzpatrick, 2 of 3 for 16 yards. Bilal Powell, 8 carries, 35 yards. Chris Ivory, 6 for 25. I mean, Is there anybody you're going to own on this team? No, I don't think I there don't is. Think so. I, I mean, I like Eric Decker as a player, so maybe it's Decker. I feel like Brandon Marshall's priced up pretty high, mm-hmm. so his, his numbers are going to probably look more like they did during his time in Miami than they yeah. did during his time in Chicago. So you're kind of. I don't of, even know if they'll be up there. So even if, yeah, even if he reaches that level, there's not that much room for profit based on his mm-hmm. ADP right now. So unfortunately for Jets fans, this this could be another miserable year, uh, like a five or six win type season, and not because of the Smith injury, just because they still are light on town on the offensive yeah. side of the ball. They are, you know, if, if Fitzpatrick's running this offense, it's gonna it's gonna be bad. I mean, I respect the guy; he's, he's definitely smart, but not somebody that probably warrants a, a starting job in the NFL right now. What about Chris Ivory? You know, I mean, I feel like the price is reasonable for a, for a starting back, but uh, again, in this offense, it, if they're relying on him to, to drive the offense, it's going to be tough sledding. Yeah, I mean, maybe Fitzpatrick's competent enough with Marshall and Decker to where teams can't load up the box, and, and Ivory, maybe Ivory ends up on a team or two for me. It depends on my running back strategy. I think he is one of those guys I seek out when I go cheap at running back, because I feel like the volume should be there. Mm-hmm. Like Compared to where he's being drafted, he should get a lot more carries exactly. than most of the guys around him. But at the same time, you know, if everything goes well and I have a more balanced team, I don't know if I'll have that many shares of Ivory either. So Ivory and Decker are the two guys I'm most likely to own. Probably not going to have more than a share or two of either of them. Ravens 30, Saints 27. Brandon Cooks had a 28-yard touchdown catch. A lot of good blocking on that play, but the speed was certainly on display. Uh, Josh Hill hauled in three passes for 40 yards. He moves into that role vacated by Jimmy Graham. And Kerry Robinson maybe becoming an early sleeper now uh, with C.J. Spiller down for the rest of the preseason. Uh, He had a couple carries for 35 yards, caught three balls for 37, also scored a touchdown in this one. I mean, for me, Mark Ingram could be the, the primary ball carrier, but there is a role there, as we've seen Time and time again, Pierre Thomas has held it, Reggie Bush a few years ago, Darren Sproles. The Saints love to throw to running backs, so perhaps there's a window for Kerry Robinson to kind of do what some people were expecting C.J. Spiller to do if Spiller's injury lingers on into the regular season. I think that's reasonable to expect, actually, because you know Kyrie, I, I think you know maybe he had some down moments at the end, but he definitely had some flashes of brilliance, too, early on. And you're right, they're, they're going to be looking to throw to the running backs. I thought Spiller was a great fit there. Really nice PPR option if you were healthy, but uh, you put Kyrie in that role, I think he could thrive. I really think he's uh, plenty capable. Maybe the talent's not at the level with, with Spiller, but if he's hurt, should be plenty of looks uh, headed Kyrie's way. And Brandon Cooks, he's another guy whose price is soaring quite a bit. Uh, I mean, Really efficient last year with his, I think, 70 targets. I think he had 53 catches, but only three touchdowns. I do worry that they, they may spread it around enough to where he maybe you know doesn't even 
well, not exceed double digits, but maybe even eight touchdowns or so. I, I had a, a talk with with Mario Puig, and you know we both agreed Jordan Matthews by quite a bit. But I've, I'm seeing Cooks go a, ahead of Matthews. I've seen that quite a few times. By the way, I, I, I want to throw this out there for those who've listened to the pod going back to last year. My disappointment that not only have I been pronouncing Mario's last name incorrectly, I've been calling him Puig like Yasiel. And it is Puig. Well, so, like, yeah, one, so. like, dunce cap for me for saying it incorrectly. I and think he wanted it to be. What kind of. Did he want. I mean, I, don't know. I asked him. I think I asked him a long time ago. And it was kind of like Zach Sundelius for a while. Like, Sundelius, Sundelius. <laughs> like, I, like, I've worked with the guy for several years, both of them. And it's like, how yeah. exactly do I say your name? Like, it's just kind of. I'm uh, bad with names. Uh, well, I, I think I think he should just go by Puig. Like, he should yeah. just accept that as his preferred, like, nomenclature yeah, because you know? now that yaziel is so popular uh people know the name you know and and i think uh, if you correct them that just may throw them off yeah i mean i just feel like that's the proper pronunciation see, anyway but uh, see i'm lucky though my name is is two syllables yeah Play, link yeah you can't so you can't mess you, it up you cannot mess that up i don't even know how anybody possibly could uh, but looking here at the Raven side of this one uh, one takeaway justin tucker is good at kicking footballs he had 12 points in this game uh, that's as much as we're going to talk about kickers, probably, on this episode. Uh, round one of Buck Allen versus Lorenzo Teliaferro as the uh, job battle to back up uh, Justin Forsett kind of begins. Slight edge to Teliaferro. He was playing a little earlier in the game, had a short one-yard TD plunge in this one, but the per-carry numbers, almost identical. Teliaferro at three yards a pop and Allen at 3.2. Uh, this one could linger on even into the season where I could see uh, a scenario where Allen sort of takes over a few weeks in once the games begin to count. Maybe he wrestles away the job as we kind of get underway this season. Yeah, I kind of jumped on the Talia Ferro train a bit last year, deeper leagues where I you know, was speculating on running backs. And he had a couple decent games, but I just really don't know if the talent's there for him to be much more than a you know low-end backup. And I think they probably do end up making the switch to Allen. You know, that, that's something that... Uh, that is is worth noting, but I just don't know if either of those guys, even if they, uh, you know, if something were to happen to Forsett, if they would really step in, either one of them would really step into the uh, the top primary role, or if they would end up, you know, indeed sharing uh, the workload. Bears twenty seven ten winners over the Dolphins and a pretty nondescript performance overall. Uh, Ryan Tannehill was sharp though, six for seven for fifty six yards and touchdown is a little two yarder to Jarvis Landry. Uh, Lamar Miller looked good in his limited touches, three carries for thirty two yards, showed some pretty good burst. As we're finding out from the Dolphins coaching staff, Jay Ajayi still needs some work in pass protection. He's also been slowed by injuries thus far this summer. Probably not going to be a guy that uh, pushes Miller until sometime mid season. Leaves the door open for guys like Damian Williams and, and uh, Michael James and Mike Gillisley possibly to emerge as the backups, at least initially. But really, as we've talked about a few weeks ago, I think it really pushes Lamar Miller further up my board in terms of where I would be willing to take him. Yeah. Maybe as like an early third round pick now. I do think he's probably being undervalued. And I, I saw, I think it's true. I mean, with the injury uh, and the issues with pass, pass protection, Ajay is fourth on the depth chart right now. I mean, that's... Again, with the injuries and pass protection issues, not super surprising, but I think uh, given the talent there, I expect him to to bump up the depth chart eventually. Uh, but I think you really kind of have to temper expectations uh, for a guy like that, especially when you have an incumbent like Miller who 
you know, no real reason to think he, he loses that job unless there is uh, an injury, which is certainly possible, but no real reason to think uh, if he's healthy that he'll be uh, seeding carries to, to really anybody. So uh, Ajay is somebody who's definitely, you know, whose stock is falling pretty dramatically. Uh, don't know if I'm going to be really taking a chance on him just because I still think he's going, you know, inside maybe not the top 100, but probably shortly thereafter. Yeah, I, I think you're right about that. Now, taking a look at the the Bears' offense, I was trying to figure out where the 27 points came from. Mostly it was from backup running backs. So it was Kadeem Carey getting into the end zone late in the third quarter, uh, and Signoris Perry with a 54-yard run in the fourth quarter in the waning minutes of the fourth quarter. So you really can't put a ton of stock into that. So not much here as far as offensive performances go. Uh, Eddie Royal, 2 of 19. Martellus Bennett, 1 of 17. So... Uh, we really didn't see a lot of Jeremy Langford either. Only four carries went for one total yard. So kind of a strange day for the Bears offense, even though they yeah. put 27 on the board against Miami. Uh, Washington, a 20-17 to winner over Cleveland. Quarterback battle there, of course, drawing plenty of interest throughout camp, even though the Browns still seemingly love Josh McCowan. Uh, he did go 5-5 five five for 33 yards and a TD. Johnny Manziel had a touchdown run in this one. He was 7-11 for 11 for 42 yards. Uh, the problem I, I did spot uh, watching Menzel in the clips from this game is just that much like you have with other smaller quarterbacks, I think you have this sense of urgency where you really have to start moving him out of the pocket. Mm-hmm. Like having him stand in the pocket as a very undersized quarterback and trying to throw over offensive linemen, I think that's, that's not playing to his strengths. Like no. He's going to have to do it sometimes. He's going to have to drop back in the pocket and make good throws. But it seems like the Browns haven't necessarily built an offense that's meant for him, which makes me kind of believe them when they say that Josh McCowan is likely their guy in week one. Yeah, I think you can take him at that, take him at their word with that. Uh, and plus, it's, you know, they they have the offense to where they kind of seemingly want to keep him in the pocket, but I think it's Manziel's kind of nature to want to, uh, you know, to leave that pocket way far sooner than he should. And, you know, I think he's more comfortable definitely outside. I think they kind of want him to learn to be more of a, a pocket type of guy, and uh, until until that happens, and he regains the the trust, you know, and respect of his teammates. Heard Mike Pettin talking recently in an interview, and you know, I've heard this saying before, but I thought it was good. You know, with respect with, with your teammates, you know, you lose it in buckets, gain it back in drops, and I think, you know, uh, even we though Benzel has changed and is earning that back. It's still going to be a, a, a process where it's uh, going to take him a while. That might be the top of the board as far as the Mike Pettin quotes. Usually I'm not like impressed by uh, no. Mike Pettin, but that I like that. I, I kind of like that too. It's a, it's a, solid, it's a solid line. Uh, EJ Bibbs, so looking for other potential Bibbs. sources of value in the passing game here, 3 of 29, uh, the rookie out of Iowa State, kind of a, a sneaky potential contributor at the tight end position if he can get acclimated in this Cleveland offense. Really no clarity from the running back situation. Duke Johnson didn't play. He's been slowed by a hamstring injury. Neither Terrence West nor Isaiah Crowell really did much to contribute. On the Washington side, Niles Paul's going to miss the rest of the season after dislocating his ankle in this one. As we mentioned earlier, Jordan Reed trying to get healthy, dealing with injuries of his own. He hopes to play Thursday against the Lions. He's been increasing his activity in recent days. Uh, the quarterback battle in Washington also worth monitoring. Kirk Cousins finished 12 of 14 for 154 yards. He followed RG3, who went 4 of 8 for 36 yards. However, the box score never tells the complete story, mm-hmm. especially this time of year. 
Pierre Garçon dropped a 61-yard touchdown catch that he could have walked into the end zone. Bad, Griffin bad. made a really nice throw downfield. Garçon just didn't catch it with his hands, tried to catch it with his body, and it just went right through the bread basket. So you, you, know, you add the 61 yards and another completion there, 5 of 8 for 97 yards and a touchdown wouldn't look that bad for, for no. Robert Griffin. You know, Griffin's another guy who's you know has to work to to regain the respect and trust of his teammates. Uh, but I think the teammates realize that their best chance to win is with a guy like RG3. Not the same since that rookie year, but Cousins you know, has his flashes of brilliance, but I don't think I think the team realizes that he's probably, you know, long-term a, a backup and you know, if you really want to go for it, you need that explosiveness, that kind of X factor that a guy like RG3 brings. And for fantasy, I think RG3 is probably a little undervalued too. Not somebody in, in standard leagues I'm really looking at, but in two QB leagues, if I'm waiting on that second QB, I think he makes for a nice option. Yeah, I went after him in the Stopa Law Firm auction uh, back in July. I think he was mm-hmm. 8 bucks. It's a two-quarterback league oh, yeah, effectively because of the super flex. Uh, so he's my second quarterback right now. I went cheaper on quarterback there than I did anywhere, which is like the opposite of what you want to do, right? You want to spend in the two quarterback leagues and generally not spend uh, in one QB leagues. At least that's the conventional yeah, wisdom. It's but conventional. But if you hit on RG3 at that price? I, I like to just fade what everybody else in the room is doing strategy-wise. Yeah, like if, 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 someone, if everyone else wants to pay a premium for quarterbacks, I'll try to find value there. If mm-hmm. everybody else in the room thinks they can wait on a quarterback, I'll take Aaron Rodgers. That's fine. So it's more of just kind of reading what's playing happening around room. me. Playing the room and yeah. just getting the best possible squad dollar-for-dollar value-wise or pick-for-pick value-wise uh, that you possibly can i'll just say this just to inform our our listeners duke johnson expected to return to practice at some point this week uh that according to the akron beacon journal i do like him as a as a kind of not under the radar but somebody that where he's going uh definitely somebody i'm interested at that price think he could end up being uh probably not a top 20 running back but a RB3, I think, is, is certainly realistic. Yeah, I could definitely uh, see that. Uh, if you're out for the evening and you've been drinking, get a ride, call a cab, or find some other safe way home because getting arrested for drunk driving can cost you a lot more than an arrest and a fine. You could face legal fees, court costs, the loss of your license, and more. Right now, cops all across the country are cracking down on drunk driving, and they'll see you before you see them. Drive sober or get pulled over. It's time for our Safe Sleeper Pick, sponsored by Drive Sober or Get Pulled Over. Many of us will be downing beers at our fantasy football drafts, which, of course, lead to bad decisions in the later rounds and even worse decisions, possibly, like getting behind the wheel after the draft. Get an Uber, get a cab, have a sober friend drive you home. Just be safe out there. Uh, Here's a safe sleeper to target, though. It is Duke Johnson for me. I, I, I like him a lot because, look, the Browns had Isaiah Crowell and Terrence West last year, and even with that, they made a point to go in and draft Duke Johnson, who I think is a more dynamic player than both. Like He has mm-hmm. the positive qualities of both Crowell and West, and I think he's actually the most physically talented back of the three. So I, I like him right now as a safe sleeper you can target because he should emerge to be their lead back over the course of the season. Uh, the health is keeping the price down right now, so you're not going to get burned by overpaying. Really like Duke Johnson where he's going right now in drafts. Yeah, same here. I think that's... If we're talking about sleepers, about as safe as sleepers you can get, uh, I'll throw out another one, Alfred Blue. I mean, getting talk, but I don't think that price is really reflecting, you know, what he's in line for at least over the first half of the season. And who knows, Arian Foster, you know, you can't bank on him coming back. You know, what week eight, week seven, whatever. I just don't think uh, you can realistically do that. So Alfred Blue, I think as long as he's getting those carries, 
Yeah, they're going to feed him a ton. I think he could exceed 20 carries as long as he's in that starting role pretty much every week. Yeah, we could definitely see that from Alfred Blue. Let's move back into these box score recaps. Looking here at the Chargers and Cowboys, San Diego coming away. A 17-7 winner in this one. Very empty performance from the Cowboys, really resting a lot of players. Nothing really to take away for me at all on that side. Uh, one thing that did stand out to me, though, looking at the Chargers, Brandon Oliver and Danny Woodhead both scored in this one. I think you consider Woodhead being healthy kind of an under-the-radar addition for the Chargers. Getting him back from that mm -hmm. uh, fractured tibia that he suffered in Week 3 of last season adds one more weapon there. Oliver looked pretty good at times last year, too, and yet the Chargers, with that, still went out and drafted Melvin Gordon in the first round. So trying to figure out what that coaching staff's going to do, I have to wonder if we're going to see a lot of Danny Woodhead on third down, if that's going to be his role, if he could catch 50, maybe even 60 balls again this year. Uh, Melvin Gordon, his debut, by the way, six carries for 11 yards. I just wonder if Gordon's going to have a difficult time getting on the field in obvious passing situations. Yeah. And as a result, if in PPR leagues, his value is going to take a significant hit because both Woodhead and Oliver can catch the ball to the backfield. Yeah, I got to admit, you know, we're up here in Madison. I want to get, I would love to get some shares of Gordon, but I'm souring a bit on him at, at this current price. Uh, and yeah, and especially in PPR, I just think, you know, the concerns over the pass blocking really got to trouble you, especially when you have a guy like Woodhead who can step in and be very good through the air. Woodhead, somebody that I do think uh, PPR. I mean, if we're talking about somebody that has an RB2, if you do the zero RB approach, plug in there, I mean, he'd probably be a serviceable option. He, hard to trust from week to week, but I do think 50 catches is, is realistic. Oliver, too. Flashes of brilliance last year. I, I grew to, to really like him, and uh, I just worry, though, you know, we're, we're delving into these box scores. You don't want to read too much into week one, of course, uh, but I think he's somebody that, you know, even though they drafted Gordon in the first round, that they're not not willing to write off just yet. I think they're going to make make Gordon uh, earn earn most of those carries. I mean, he might just be a carbon copy of Ryan Matthews from last year. That might be the role they're looking for him to fill, yeah. and that's still a, that's a very good fantasy player. Yeah. I mean, Melvin Gordon, I consider him to be a friend of the podcast, even though we've never <laughs> actually met him. I mean, if, no. if we had the chance to talk to him, we'd love to have him uh, join oh, us. Of course. I, I think he can be the most successful Wisconsin running back that we've really ever seen mm -hmm. in the NFL. There's a lot of talent there. And the other thing about it, too, the team he played on last year, especially at Wisconsin, didn't throw the ball at all, wasn't good at it. Mm -hmm. So his opportunities to be tested in pass protection were minimal. And then you factor in that in the Big Ten. How, name name quality defensive players from the Big Ten in the last five years. It's J.J. Watt and then who else? And it's like yeah. Melvin Gordon was teammates with J.J. Watt, I think, a few years ago or just yeah. missed him maybe by a year. But the bottom line is there are so few quality pass rushers mm -hmm. in the Big Ten that running backs coming out of the Big Ten, I think, are at a huge disadvantage coming into the league because they yeah. haven't had to have the responsibility of picking up quality pass rushers as you would in the SEC or, or in better conferences. Yeah, so there's going to be that learning curve there for him to get up to speed with pass protection, but how long is that going to take? And is that going to affect his opportunities on the field once the regular season gets underway? I think that's a legitimate concern. But for those who look at Melvin Gordon and say, well, Monte Ball's been a big disappointment, and I, I just can't trust another Wisconsin running back, you know, he there have been several of them that have played there that have just come up and haven't done as much in the NFL as they did in college. This is different. Melvin Gordon's a different mm -hmm. type of player, so don't just write him off because of any sort of issue with the third down work initially or because previous Wisconsin backs have failed you. He is a better player than all of them. He just yeah, is. He's absolutely. the most talented back they've had in the last 15 to 20 years. Yeah, and if you don't believe 
what Derek's saying. Just go watch like the highlight videos. I mean, if you believe, if you feel that way, clearly you did not see some of his work last year with Wisconsin. I think it's very clear that he's going to carve out a uh, lengthy, hopefully, and you know, prominent NFL career. It's just a matter of. Yeah, making up for lost time and getting reps in pass protection, cleaning up that aspect of his game. Also, always friends of the podcast, uh, all Wisconsin offensive linemen, just oh, the yeah, simple really. fact that they're they're huge. But that <laughs> offensive line last year was not loaded with this year's starters in the NFL. They've had so many quality offensive linemen go through, it's easy to assume that year after year they've got the best offensive line in the country or one of the best offensive lines in the country. It's good offensive line last year, but it wasn't at that same elite level that enabled lesser backs to be productive in previous years. So there's a lot there to still like with Melvin Gordon. I hope people look at him and just evaluate him correctly. And again, more of a reminder that Danny Woodhead is healthy and back in the mix than anything else. Uh, and, and that you know that they're going to make Gordon earn uh, what he gets. I think that's another big thing. You know that at that draft position, you're going to probably assume that he's going to step into. Uh, into the top role, and he, he probably will once the regular season gets underway, but it's something where uh, he's going to make him wrestle those touches away from the veterans. One thing I wanted to see from the Chargers in this game was more involvement from Ladarius Green. That really didn't happen. It, he did play. I saw him on the field watching the clips, but didn't really do anything as far as getting targets or, or making any catches. Uh, moving on to the Panthers and Bills. Panthers winning this one 25-24. Bills quarterback carousel update. Tyrod Taylor went 5 of 8 for 49 yards through the air. E.J. Manuel, 4 of 8 for 77 yards. And touchdown, Matt Castle, 7 of 8 for 45 yards. Maybe not a whole lot to take away from the actual box score here. But the question I have is, when you look at Taylor, who had also had 6 carries for 47 yards, how do you not go with the high upside guy? It's the mm-hmm. same problem in Cleveland. How do you not just take the chance on Tyrod Taylor if he looks like he's almost as good as either one of Castle or Manuel as a passer, how do you not take his raw ability and his ceiling over the lower ceiling and, and mediocre floor of the other two guys? I think you only do that if your name's, well, not only, but if you're a Rex Ryan type, you know, who uh, doesn't want to take those chances offensively, wants to play good defense, control you know, time of possession, run it a lot. I think... Uh, a guy like Castle really fits his uh, his approach to the game and his approach to coaching. I think they end up going with him, but I'm with you. Uh, I think I'd like to see Taylor get the opportunity. I think from a fantasy perspective, uh, clearly the better option there, but I, I really don't see him getting that job to start the year. Looking at the backfield in Buffalo, LaShawn McCoy, six carries for 16 yards. He was not happy with his debut as a, as a Bill, so I would expect better next time out. I, I have... I'm avoiding him this year. Just I just away. feel like he's gonna be, he's gonna get this kind of attitude going where, you know, he's just not having a ton of success and he just gets frustrated. Like I mean, like a lot of players do, like anybody does in life when things aren't going their way. I think he's gonna have a tough time getting things going. On the ground should see a, a monster workload, but I just think as the season goes, uh, maybe he doesn't crack a hundred yards for a few games. He's gonna start to uh, feel frustrated frustrated and really uh, not hesitate to express that frustration over under four yards of carry for LaShawn McCoy this year I'll say over but but not much not over. by much okay. 4.2 maybe Carlos Williams Bryce Brown sort of battling to be the the backup running back there along with Fred Jackson who's still in the mix uh, Williams 14 carries for 40 yards and a touchdown Brown six for 52 
and Escora. Either one of those guys of interest to you, or is Jackson the handcuff if you're going to be a McCoy owner trying to uh, back up your investment? You know, I'm not one of these guys that's super against handcuffs, but I don't think in this situation uh, either of those guys really warrant it. Even Fred Jackson I don't really think warrants it at his age. I don't really see any of those guys being uh, a guy that you'd consider starting in most leagues, even if McCoy were to go down. Looking at the Panthers' side of this one, Kelvin Benjamin was nearly destroyed by a bad pass from Cam Newton. Cam threw one up and behind him. Benjamin went up to get it, and two Bills defenders just drilled him in the lower back. It was one of those plays where you look at it and you're just like, even if that doesn't knock him out of the game, the the wear and tear of hits like that, that's why guys can't walk when they get to like age 45 or age 50 after playing in the NFL. Benjamin did haul in a two-yard touchdown pass in this one. Uh, did a nice job kind of high-pointing the ball. It, he, he's going to be so good on the, on those short, over-the-top balls in the end zone. I mean, he, he's just so mm. big, and he's got such good reach, good vertical, can create that separation. There's a lot to like with Kelvin Benjamin, but we'll see if Cam can fully tap into it. Uh, he's also got Devin Funches to work with, who I think also presents physical problems for DBs. I mean, he was yeah. two catches for 53 yards. I kind of like Funches to become sneaky valuable at some point later this season. I think the key here in Carolina can three pass catchers be productive in this offense? Will there be enough volume there for Benjamin and Greg Olson and Devin Funches to coexist and provide steady weekly value? You know, I think so. And I don't think that should take away from the value of Benjamin or Greg Olson. I think, you know, Funches, you know, not really somebody I think that they're going to lean on super heavily, but providing another element to that, that passing attack. And I think they'll take advantage of that because Cam Newton, you know, before Kelvin Benjamin had really nothing. So now that he has the option to spread it around even more with a guy like Funches, I think is really going to help him. And Benjamin, I think, is is still being undervalued because there, there were these reports early on in, in camp, well, even before training camp started, that he packed on, like, what, 25 pounds. But reports out now that he's, you know, looking really good, back, back in shape. You, you don't love to see that with a second-year guy, you know, maybe slacked a bit in the offseason, but I really don't think – there's much reason to discount him because the talent is through the roof and you know the targets are going to be there, especially the red zone looks. Yeah, I, I think the red zone targets should definitely be there. But now they've, again, with Funches there, you can't defend them both with your bit, your no. biggest, best corner. Someone's going to have a good mismatch, and they, they maybe both will uh, in, in certain instances. Uh, let's move on here to the Falcons and Titans. Marcus Mariota making his preseason debut. He finished 7 for 8 for 94 yards. Did throw a pick in this one. Uh, he missed a dump off to Bishop Sankey. It was kind of a bad throw and also had a, a strip uh, sack or situation that was a fumble return for a touchdown. I don't think he actually got sacked on the play, but it was it was ugly. He kind of just got stuck in the pocket with the ball up and defenders swatted it out. Um, overall, not a horrible debut, but also not necessarily a great one. Uh, I think with Mariota, the concern I have is that the weapons there around him yeah. are very suspect. The receivers are, are not much to get excited about as a group uh, but maybe the running game can be better I was encouraged by what I saw from David Cobb it came late in the game he had 11 carries for 53 yards looked a lot better than Bishop Sankey who had eight carries for 15 yards do you think the presence of Mariota just the fact that he could be an upgrade over what they had at quarterback last year with Zach Mettenberger and, and Jake Locker do you think that could open up more running lanes for Cobb, Sankey, any other backs the Titans might use? I mean, because a lot of times mobile quarterbacks seem like they're good for the running game as a yeah, whole. I think they definitely are, and I think that that should help them 
on the ground help the backs uh, achieve more success. Look like Sankey, but I really do think Cobb is somebody to to target. I I just grabbed him in one of my leagues. I think it was uh, ninth round. I mean that was probably a little high, but I do think uh, if you're speculating on backup, you know RBs who could emerge as uh, really impactful fantasy options, I think he's a guy to to target. And you know my friend was trying to my friend Hans. Shout out to him was trying to sell me uh, on Mariota, and I do like him as a player long term. Uh, but he kind of said, like, you know, look at the impact RG three, Cam Newton, those guys had their first year a runner like that. I just don't think Mariota is the caliber of runner those guys. I think he's a good good enough runner, but I just don't know if he's the the as good of a, a over overall package as those guys were in their first year. Of course, you know the shine on rj3 is worn off but uh in the the you're right the, the weapons there through the air not great i mean kendall hunter justin hunter green beckham douglas hakeem nicks i mean i think hakeem nicks is done delaney walker could be all right but i just think it's going to be tough for him to uh, find a ton of success through the air and thus i mean maybe 2qb type of guy but i think i'd rather have a guy like rg3 i think doriel green beckham needs to be the elite talent that he's been labeled for a long time. Mm-hmm. He needs to like, start tapping into that if the Titans are going to take a big step forward as a group of pass catchers. Because I just don't think the guys you mentioned, I also think Harry Douglas and Knicks and the, the cast-offs they brought in are, are going to really take that to the next level. And I think that's going to make it really difficult for Mariota in year one, even though I do like the overall combination of skills. As I mentioned earlier, nothing really to take away from the Falcons side because Tevin Coleman and Devontae Freeman did not play in this one. Passing game looked good. Matt Ryan, 6 of 6, 86 yards and a touchdown on his only series. Julio Jones, 4 catches for 61 yards and a touchdown. I saw a tweet from Tom Kesnick of the NFBC that suggested that Julio Jones could be the number one overall pick in some of those leagues this year. Wow, that's pretty incredible. But I you know, have a hard time making an argument against that. I mean, you're talking about Jones, and, you know, for me last year, uh, I thought the price was a little high given the foot injury, but with that, you know, f- mostly behind him, I mean, we're talking about the guy last year who, you know, fell seven yards short of 1,600 for the season and only six touchdowns. I think you can you know, possibly look at him doubling that or more than doubling that this year uh, because, you know, I see him getting more than 150 targets again, and if, if he's if that offense is more efficient, is able to move the ball into the the red zone more consistently, I think Jones is gonna is gonna be definitely the guy that they look to uh, in the end zone. Moving on to the Jags and Steelers, Jags 23-21 winners in this one. Julius Thomas hurt his finger on the second play of the game, did not return. He will miss at least the rest of the preseason. We'll see if that lingers on into the regular season. Uh, could open up some more targets for the receivers there. I don't know if there's necessarily a tight end. Maybe Clay Harbor picks up a few extra targets. He filled in capably last season when the Jags had a need at the position. Uh, TJ Yeldon didn't play in this one due to injury, so we saw a decent amount of Denard Robinson. And by decent amount, I mean four carries for 22 yards. But he looked okay uh, as the uh, kind of fallback starter for the Jags. Blake Bortles finished 11-15 of 15 for 118 yards, also had a four-yard touchdown run. Pretty nice performance from Bortles overall. Yeah, pretty good. He really had a tough year last year, but I don't really think you could point to him, point at him, and really judge him based off of you know all those pick sixes he had. I mean, he was he was working with nothing. I mean, you're talking about you know people who have 
very little to work with. He had honestly nothing to work with. I think he should be better this time around. Still not somebody I'm really looking at uh, as much of a fantasy option. And if Thomas, if this does linger into the season for him, that's going to be a big blow uh, to Bortles' options. But I do think, you know, Bortles, this is a year where you can uh, really kind of evaluate him and his numbers more because he at least has some people around him to, to ease that burden. Absolutely. And I think with Allen Robinson uh, kind of rising up the ranks for many, I think there's a lot of expectations there from him, but they've got some depth guys who could be interesting. Allen Hearns, I mean, he flashed some ability yeah. to stretch the field last and he year. Had, and yeah, those guys, but they, the offense just. Uh, the line and then the run game just wasn't there. But they were all rookies. It was Marquise yeah, exactly. Lee, Allen Robinson, and, and Allen Hearns. Three rookies receivers were the primary receivers, yeah. plus Bortles being a rookie himself. I mean, there was a lot of a lot to change there. And Denar Robinson playing running back in the NFL, yeah. I mean, exactly. like also getting kind of broken in. So I think that team could take a step, whether it's a small one, medium-sized step, to be determined. Uh, Bengals, Giants. That one finished twenty three ten, and I, I looked. I tried to find something to take away. I got nothing. Yeah. That, that game was like the most meaningless of the preseason Pretty games uh, this week. One, will, one thing I did overlook though in that Jag Steelers game, Martavis Bryant uh, does seem to be healthy. He had that minor procedure earlier uh, in camp. Three catches, fifty five yards, including a touchdown, a forty four yarder. I mean, this this is an opportunity that Steelers offense should throw the ball six hundred times again this year or close mm-hmm. to it. With that, I think Martavis Bryant, if he gets a good chunk of that volume, we're looking at a, a pretty good candidate to be a top 20 receiver. You know, I hadn't really thought about that potential upside, but I think that's reasonable to, to think it's at least possible. It's at least a ceiling. Yeah it's, yeah, it's a ceiling. And, you know, last year it was boom or bust with him, and I think this year it kind of could be the same. You know, you're going to be expecting or banking on that, that home run play, the, the long touchdown when you do start him. But uh, hopefully that – those happen more often than not, but uh, still, yeah. Given where he's he's at right now, and you know, you gotta think, you know, as good as Antonio Brown is, and they, he's been seeing double covered for a long time. You're gonna have to start to think that they're gonna have to start throwing it elsewhere a little bit more often, and maybe those go to to Brian. I think he's the, the leading candidate for that. And you know, you mentioned I really don't have anything to say in that Giants Bengals game, but I will say that. As much as I've dogged Eli Manning the past couple of years, and I, you know, watching him play has probably aged me like a, a decade. But <laughs> in two QB leagues, I'm starting to come around to him. I think I like him more than Tannehill, uh, and probably more than Stafford. If I'm taking a chance, just given the weapons he has. Yeah, I like him more than both of those guys. One or two quarterback leagues. I just think there's. A pretty steady week-to-week value with Eli Manning and, and some potential for shootouts in the NFC. Yeah. I think that could be one of the higher-scoring divisions uh, in the league this season. Football season just a few weeks away at DraftKings.com. DraftKings.com is America's favorite one-week fantasy football site where you could win enormous cash prizes every week. Last season, eight players won a million dollars in one day just playing fantasy football. Don't just dominate your season-long leagues in 2015, but also play one-week fantasy at DraftKings.com. Head over to DraftKings.com now and enter the promo code ROTOWIRE for a free entry. DraftKings.com, bigger events, bigger winnings, bigger millionaires. Enter ROTOWIRE for free entry now at DraftKings.com. Moving on to the last portion of the Week 1 preseason slate. Robust pod, of course. We didn't have one on Friday just yeah. due to a few schedule changes around here. A moving weekend is tough at ROTOWIRE. Yeah. You, guys, you guys listening, you don't understand like how much of our oh. staff, we most of us rent. Most of us live in the downtown campus area, 
And it's just, it's one of the craziest times of the year because the people who are in the office have to pick up a lot of extra slack with everybody else loading all their belongings into a truck and, and systematically destroying them as they cart them across town. Yeah, I mean, I got to thank, you know, Kevin O'Brien, our office manager, for uh, the flexibility to take those days off because I realized we were thin. But, uh, yeah, it's like every single person in Madison is moving on that day. And, uh, you know, not only loading your truck and getting that all out of your old house, but uh, maneuvering about town is almost impossible. We almost <laughs> hit, like, five different people. It's all these different people that come in. A lot, a lot of parents moving their, their, ch- their college-aged children around. They have no idea where they're going. They come to Madison four times ever, like each year to move someone in or out. And people driving the wrong way down one way. people parking on lawns, people parking all sorts of different... It's it's chaos here. For anyone who lives in a college town, you probably know what this is like. It makes me wonder. I've always wondered about this, Clay. If you move to a place, let's just say you're going to go live in New York, some extremely densely populated place, or downtown Chicago. Like I always feel like if I live in a big city, I'd want to live where the action is. I'd have a really small apartment, but it'd be yeah. in a really prime location. It's super expensive, but tiny living quarters. The logistics of moving in a place like New York or Chicago in the city, in, in the, the busiest areas, I don't know how people do it. I don't yeah. know if you just pay professional people and just eat the cost or how it's done. Let me know on Twitter, at Derek Van Riper. What, what do you do if you live in a big city? Madison's small enough where it's like it, it's crowded yeah. here when people move, but it's not. It's not chaos. But I wonder if that many people in those other bigger cities move on the same day like that. No, I mean, yeah, I don't think there's necessarily one fixed time where all of New York or a quarter of New York starts moving around, like a quarter of the people who rent there. But that would be because you got thirty thousand, thirty thousand kids moving back to Madison on on the fifteenth of of August, and all these other you know young professional types. changing locations it's just insane I, and i do want, i think that's a good question i wonder if it is like that or maybe it's not even so bad in, in big cities like new york or chicago yeah maybe it's just easy because everyone hires professionals to do it i have yeah. i have no idea uh, moving on to the raiders and rams raiders 18 three winners in this one latavius murray six carries 35 yards amari cooper three catches for 22 yards and that's about it from yeah. this game anything from the st louis oakland matchup that caught your eye well, you know, I recently, you know, gave up the Raiders beat here. Sad, <laughs> sad day, I'm sure. Real sad, but no, I still, you know, I still have all those beat writers uh, on my Twitter list, so I still uh, see what's going on with this team for the most part. And I know they are really riding high after this offensive performance. A lot of optimism there in Oakland, and you know, I think Cooper. I think they have a nice foundation with that with him and Carr and. Uh, Murray's pretty good, but I, I will caution with Murray. I think he may be overvalued slightly. Uh, had that big game, of course, against Kansas City before he got hurt, but that was on four carries that only exceeded uh, 3.8 yards per or 3.7 yards per carry once over the final four weeks, and that was when he was really seeing uh, the first heavy workload of his career in those games. And uh, I think you should see plenty of opportunities, but I also think it'll probably just be a two two down back with Roy Halu there to handle pass catching situation. Yeah, I think Halu does have a role at least on third down and if Murray were to scuffle, which by all accounts it doesn't look like he will, I think Halu getting more carries could be kind of interesting should that situation arise. Maybe a Murray injury yeah. paves the way for that to happen, but I think at least in deep PPR leagues Halu's worth that late round flyer. It kind of fits and, in that Danny Woodhead category of exactly. guy who could be, 
useful on a week-to-week basis, even in a somewhat limited role. I think if I had the choice, though, I'd take Woodhead because I feel like the touches are a little more guaranteed mm. at this point. I would, too. And But Halu is really efficient with his targets, and I think they're going to be you know more than happy to get him. Uh, looks through the air, and... Even Marcel Reese can catch the ball, so I think you, you're not going to be banking on Murray catching a lot of passes at all. He had 17 last year, but I think uh, his opportunities through the air will be scaled back a bit. And you know, there is the new coaching, you know, uh, staff there in Oakland. But th- just don't forget how long it took them to give him an opportunity last year. I just don't know if he'll have. You know, a monster leash in that role if he really kind of struggles out of the gate. Marcel Reese is the ultimate. Just throw him the ball a little bit, see what yeah. happens, guy. It's been that way for years, though. I don't expect anything to change, change at this point. He's just just a spare part for them. Uh, perhaps in a slight measure of Super Bowl XLVIII revenge, the Broncos come away 22-20 winners over Seattle. Peyton Manning didn't play, so we saw a lot of Brock Osweiler, 15 of 20 for 151 and a TD. Uh, Ronnie Hillman, eight carries for 66 yards. Monte Ball, eight carries for 26 yards. Um, C.J. Anderson only had three carries for eight yards. Probably not going to see much of him in the preseason because he's pretty clearly the starter there. Cody Latimer had four catches for 49 yards. Any interest in Latimer as a possible deep sleeper in this Broncos offense? Yeah, I I really do think he makes for a nice option uh, in probably you know the later rounds of single season leagues. But I'm really looking at him as a guy to, to stream it on DraftKings in daily. You know, when uh, it'll be hard to to pick those weeks, but I think he's he's due. He's in line for a couple you know big games. They'll probably be uh, you know it's going to be hard to hit on those. But I think he could be the kind of guy who you get as your last receiver as a flex. Uh, you take a chance as a lottery ticket him in daily, and he ends up exploding for like what 130 yards and two touchdowns. I think he's got a couple of those performances in him this week or this season. Yeah, we could definitely see something along those lines. Uh, it, can I just say too that C.J. Anderson's stock too is just soaring right it's now. It's through the roof. Mid first round pick in some yeah. leagues is just what it's going to take to get him. I think it's the appeal of. Uh, disappointing players behind him, but then also that Gary Kubiak's now the head coach yeah. there. His system in Baltimore made Justin Forsett a star last year. C.J. Anderson was good already, running better behind the Broncos' offensive line last year than the alternative. So I see where that appeal yeah. comes from. I just I don't know if I trust him, you know, more than like Demarco Murray for no, for some like pe- people. I've seen people do that, take him over Demarco Murray. That seems nuts to me to take C.J. Anderson that high, but I, yeah. I think there is. Uh, reason to be optimistic about his 2015 value. Uh, no other notes really from that game. We'll move on to the Texans and Niners. Houston, a 23-10 winner there. Is Bill O'Brien right? Should we embrace the Texans QBs? Should the city of Houston begin to embrace the Texans quarterbacks? Uh, no. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I, you know, I think it'll be interesting, just like any QB starting QB battle, but. I mean, Brian Hoyer, I mean, I'm sure he's got a chip on his shoulder, but Ryan Mallett, I mean, it's it's a toss-up for me. I don't have any clue who's going to win, and I don't think any of these guys is the long-term answer. So, you know, I think it's more so for Texans fans, just get used to it because, you know, this is what you're going to have to deal with all season. But I don't think that fans at any point will really truly embrace any of these guys. I got a, a question here for you. Tom Savage, 8 of 14. 97 yards and yeah, a touchdown. I didn't even Tom. Tom Savage uh, behind Ryan Mella and Brian Hoyer, who actually both, I think, played reasonably well 
Uh, Hoyer had a long TD pass to Cecil Shorts. Ryan Mallett, 10 of 11 for 90 yards, 8.2 yards per attempt there. But Tom Savage, no matter what he does in his life, will never be higher than third on the Savage cheat sheet. Randy Savage, <laughs> the macho man, forever will be number, number one. one. And Fred yeah. Savage will yeah. always be number two. Tom Savage can never be higher than three. I don't think, yeah, I don't think he could. He's really even number three. I can't name a better number three right now, but uh, if you gave me a while, I think I could could come up with a better one. But, yeah, that's a tough spot to be in. You know, you got that kind of last name. People are going to hold you to a high standard. Uh, Macho Man Randy Savage, easily number one, and uh, still somebody that I would like to get a jersey of, just given from his brief minor league baseball career. Uh, R.I.P. Macho Man Randy Savage, probably my all-time favorite pro wrestler. I got to say, uh, as far as number three on that list goes, it cannot be Principal Butt Savage from the cartoon <laughs> Doug because Butt nope. Savage is the last name, but was not the first name, was Savage as the last name. So based on a technicality, Tom Savage in good position to be third on the Savage cheat sheet. For now. For now. We'll see if there's someone who can displace him out there. Uh, Houston running game, Alfred Blue, 9 for 59. The best of the three backs. Uh, Chris Polk, 10 of 29, 2.9 yards per carry. Kenny Hilliard, 13 for 39 in this one. Uh, I think Blue's the clear-cut starter. I think there's still some ambiguity as far as how long Arian Foster will actually be out. I think the Texans may not even know. And even when they find out, I don't think Bill O'Brien's the kind of guy who's going to tell us. No, and that's fine. They, you know, under no obligation. I mean, some obligation because you're supposed to. But uh, I think it's going to be a situation where any any indications they give are probably going to be overly optimistic and kind of a little bit misleading in that regards, which is dangerous for fantasy owners. Last update we have Houston Chronicles John McClain. Uh, says that he should be available for at least the final eight games of the season. But I think when you're playing that card, making long-term uh, assumptions and, and, and bets based on long-term timetables, I think you're really uh, taking a lot of taking a lot of risk and, and more risk than I'm willing to uh, take on at this point in the season. Regardless of the quarterback situation, is Cecil Shorts possibly a sleeper? I mean, this is a guy that's flashed some pretty good big playability during his time in Jacksonville, and, and the quarterback situation, whether it's Mallet or Hoyer, isn't any worse than what he dealt with as a member of the Jags. It seems like a guy that could get downfield and maybe take advantage of teams having to focus so much on DeAndre Hopkins. Yeah, I actually think so, especially because I think he's a pretty talented guy. I think last year it was just the injuries that added up prevented him from being a much bigger factor in the Jacksonville offense. And Hopkins is just going to be blanketed. I mean, I like the guy, but, you know, when you down Foster, you have, you know, Hoyer, Mallet, or Savage possibly playing QB. Uh, he's going to be the main threat, and I think teams uh, double-team him at all times, and that's probably going to create a nice opening, nice opportunity for shorts. On the San Francisco side, the only thing of interest to me is Jared Hayne, former rugby star who could be a deep sleeper at running back. It's probably going to be a long shot to make the uh, 53-man roster. Could hang around, practice squad, maybe prove himself as a viable option on special teams. He had a 53-yard run in this one, easily their most explosive offensive performance overall, five carries for 63 yards. Also had a kick return that he took back a little ways as well. Uh, other than being an interesting story, I don't, I'm not sure there's much there right now. Anything that you took away from San Francisco in this uh, first preseason game? Pretty much that, you know, I'm avoiding 
everybody on that team. Hyde maybe is somebody I would take a chance on, but he won't fall far enough yeah, for me. Exactly. I'll never I'll never get him. The price will never be low enough in my league this year for me to have a share of Carlos no. Hyde. No, me neither. And uh again, I'm in a two QB league, as are you, and you know, Kaepernick given the rushing ability, some may find it interesting, but after I got burned by him a few years ago, uh yeah, he's got that strong arm, but he's just I just don't think he's a, a great quarterback by any means. I don't think he's you know, had that that flash, but uh, I don't th- see him ever becoming the kind of passer that uh, allows him to, to break into that elite tier of, of quarterbacks. If you compared Colin Kaepernick to a rapper, would it still be Ja Rule? <laughs> yes, absolutely the Ja Rule of the NFL. Uh, and I, I see him taking that maybe that same career path. That's not a, that's not a, a bright future <laughs> at all. Uh, Colin Kaepernick last year, though, 641 rushing yards, and this is some kind of groupthink. Multiple industry people on Twitter have already pointed this out. I know Scott Pianowski and Dalton Daldon of Yahoo are at least among them. But last season, with 641 rushing yards, Colin Kaepernick had one rushing touchdown. It's hard to run for that many yards and only score once. So I think you can pretty safely bump another three to four rushing TDs in there. And even if he just repeats what he did as a passer, I mean, that's another 24. Four points, maybe thirty more points. If he does that, that makes him a fringe top ten quarterback. So that's true, and that's with no growth as a passer and no more volume as a passer. Which I think volume might be a necessity. I think he may yeah. have to throw it more, simply because the defense lost so much in terms of retirement, uh, just overall talent there that's gone. So I just, I just can't help wonder if Colin Kaepernick at his discounted price this year really is kind of a good investment, guess, especially you know, in those deeper two quarterback leagues. See, now you're kind of talking to me maybe a little bit more into it. But at the same time, it's like, I guess he will have to put that team on his shoulders, but who is he going to get the ball to? Torrey Smith getting downfield helps them a little bit. And Anquan Bolden is is perpetually underrated. I mean, he's one of the better receivers of the last 10 years. And I think people look at him and say, he's old, can't play anymore. He finds a way to get his. He just does. He's as good at that position as anybody for a guy that doesn't have elite physical ability anymore. He's just so effective as a route runner and creating space. I think you have to expect Vernon Davis to bounce back to a certain extent, too. So, I mean, I guess those are better. Those aren't terrible options, and uh, he definitely has the arm to throw it deep to a guy like Smith. It'll be interesting, but would you take him? I know we have him one spot ahead, but, you know, I think, I guess given the rushing ability, I'd rather have him than a guy like Bridgewater. Would you take him over Stafford? Yeah, I would. I I think the upside's considerably higher. No, not Rivers. I, I think Rivers, I think the, the volume in the passing game is safe. I think he gets kind of knocked for no real reason. They may scuffle initially without Antonio Gates. I think that's one of those things yeah. I'm really going to watch closely when the season starts. Uh, but I, I would take Rivers over Kaepernick. I think for me, Kaepernick goes over. I mean, like Joe Flacco outscored him last yeah. year. I would definitely take Kaepernick over Flacco. Flacco. Uh, Flacco take him over Eli? Yeah, I think that's pretty close. Eli I, I think and Rivers Eli, are very similar to me. Yeah. Uh, so probably just behind those two. I take him ahead of Ryan Tannehill. Yeah, I, I like I like Kaepernick more than Tannehill. Yeah, I don't like too. Tannehill. That's like just Tannehill. where it comes from for me, though. I, I'm just I'm right there with you. I think they could be a real ground heavy team that plays good defense, and and even though Tannehill can run and be effective that way, uh, he showed some signs of growth last year. I don't see him throwing 590 passes again. I see that number coming down, and maybe by a significant amount, because uh, I think the makeup of that team is a lot different. He's going to have a couple big games. But I think week to week you're going to be disappointed. 
Yes, I, I would agree with that. Vikings 26-16 winners over the Bucks. Jameis Winston's preseason debut. Uh, he mishandled a couple snaps, threw a pick, finished 9 for 19, 131 yards. Did have a rushing touchdown. Any thoughts on Jameis in his uh, first look against an NFL defense? You know, i got to be honest, I didn't see a ton of him, really, just the highlight packages. Uh, I think he's going to be good, though. I really, you know, I, I have some concerns about him, uh, you know, uh, carving out a really long career. I have some issues with the you know maturity and just some of the decision-making, of course. But I think as far as performance on the field, so long as he is on the field, I think he's going to have – I mean, I love Mike Evans, and I, I do think Austin Safarian Jenkins – is a guy that that's gonna uh, emerge as a red zone threat, and I think I think Jameis too with Doug Martin, you know, early reports suggesting he's been looking pretty good. I just don't think Jameis is gonna have to uh, carry a, a huge burden like we've seen a lot of other uh, rookie QBs have to do. It's a great spot for him to be successful. Having watched the throws, I think he made two good throws out of nineteen. Oh, I mean, really? He was just all over the place. Missed Evans a couple of times. Uh, decision-making, still obviously a work in progress. It could look better a week from now. It could just be getting comfortable. It could be adrenaline. Who knows? But I didn't come away thoroughly impressed. I thought he looked good on the rushing TD. He made a good decision pulling the ball down, uh, dove into the end zone. Pretty uh, pretty athletic play there overall. But I mean, probably better than... Like, like if, you, if you cut off the top 20 fantasy quarterbacks, he's probably just inside that group already because of the weapons around him. Mm-hmm. Probably not a guy I'm going to have anywhere this year, though, just because I think the, the production could really be inconsistent, even with the quality around him. And I think the Bucks they're kind of a mystery to me on the defensive side of the ball. Is their defense going to be any good, or are they going to be very shootout-prone? You know, I think it's going to be better than last year. I don't think it's going to be all that good. I think they're going to have to put quite a bit of points, and I think Jameis will have to throw a good amount. But uh, I'm with you as far as fantasy, not really a guy I'm looking to. Maybe heading into next year, uh, you know, he could be an option in two QB leagues, but right now I just think he's uh, at best a QB three, and it, it'll a large part of his value will be tied to how much he runs. Uh, you know, pulls the ball down, and run. I don't know if it's going to be quite as often as some people are expecting. Teddy Bridgewater, seven of eight for eighty-six yards. I thought he looked pretty good, as that line points out. But the throws looked pretty good overall. I like a good Teddy touch, quite good a bit. throws on the run. Everything kind of looked like it was in place for him. A big loss for the Vikings. Phil Lodeholt, their starting right tackle, uh, suffered an Achilles injury. He will miss the rest of the season. Does that impact the value of Adrian Peterson or Bridgewater for you? Do you, do you give him a slight downgrade based on uh, Lodeholt being gone? Maybe slightly for Bridgewater, but not really for Peterson, in my opinion. But the thing with Peterson is that, you know, after the layoff, I mean, kind of, kind of an unknown right now as far as what exactly he's going to bring. I think you can expect him to be, you know, return top five value uh, overall. But you know, at his age, I think you know it's possible the performance uh, could could tail off a little bit. But at the same time, all reports are that he's just looking like a monster right now in camp. Yeah, a lot of the rest and, and all that could actually pay off for him at age 30 uh, since he played just one game thanks to that suspension last season. Uh, Chiefs 34, Cardinals 19, Carson Palmer back from knee surgery. Andre Ellington looking healthy. We mentioned earlier Chris Johnson added to the fold. Uh, David Johnson's value seemingly would be slipping as a result of Chris Johnson now being there. Uh, Eric Berry returning in this one for the Chiefs. Really nice story there. Niall Davis got banged up. He was back at practice on Monday, so nothing to really worry about there. Alex Smith threw a pick in this one, didn't play particularly well. 
Uh, it's going to raise some questions about Jeremy Macklin, possibly Travis Kelsey, too. If if that continues, one preseason game from Alex Smith doesn't make me worry too much. I think we've talked a lot about Macklin on this pod over the last few weeks. I mean, do you feel as though he's been downgraded enough with the move to Kansas City? Or is he a full-point PPR league guy that you kind of like who, in a non-PPR setting, you stay away from because you're really worried about the TDs, given how yeah. infrequently Kansas City throws in close? Yep, I'm... I'm pretty worried about him, and you know I think the price in, in PPR is probably about fair, but I don't think we're downgrading him enough in standard leagues because yeah, I mean you mentioned, I mean they just don't, they don't need and they don't want to throw to you know receivers down there in, in the end zone. I mean Macklin, you know maybe they change their philosophy a bit with Macklin, but I don't really see it uh, changing a whole lot. And I think you know when you were talking about standard leagues, I mean so much of receivers' value is tied up. In, in touchdowns, I just don't really see Macklin uh, being nearly as productive as he was w- with Philadelphia. But on the other side, I do think Kelsey, uh, I mean, it may sound a little hypocritical, but I think he's a guy that you can bank on for a lot of TDs, and that's primarily because I, I don't think, you know, I think he's going to be able to score without being in the end zone when he catches it. You know, I think he's going to catch it, then barrel over a lot of guys on a lot of occasions and, and, and make the most out of his opportunity. Kelsey can run, too. He's yeah. he's fast. Like He's not just like this big, fat tight end that, yeah. that uses his body to get open. Like He can actually outrun people a little bit, too. Uh, I think you're right, though. I think a lot of the Chiefs receiving touchdowns this year are going to come from distance as opposed to in close. I also don't trust Alex Smith. I just want to say that. I mean, I mean he's pretty accurate, but I don't think he has the arm strength uh, or the really the composure, really the the grit, I guess you could say, to really like have that that uh, that edge to really go for the throat. I just think he's somebody that's you know when when the game's on the line. I mean, he's had success in his career, but I just think he's. Uh, I think we could really start to see a, a kind of a dramatic decline with him because the arm strength has has never really been there. And I think uh, you know as he starts to get up there and age a little bit, uh, we could see that. Uh, you know, decrease even more. Just remember Mike McCarthy as offensive coordinator for the 49ers back in that draft wanted Alex Smith over Aaron yep. Rodgers. Yes, he did. So it's amazing. It's, a, it's truly amazing given the way Mike McCarthy's uh, coaching uh, history has unfolded since that time. What's the more egregious uh, fall in draft? Was, is it Rodgers or Trout? It actually might be Trout. Yeah, I think it's probably Trout. Both. Because both crazy. Both are insane, yeah. But, yeah, I mean, we, well. I guess with baseball prospects, it wasn't, it wasn't a lot more it, risk. It wasn't completely obvious with either one of them, though. Yeah, exactly. Like, neither one of those guys, like Mike Trout wasn't, he wasn't getting the Bryce Harper attention coming out of New Jersey in mm-hmm. high school. And Aaron Rodgers at Cal was a nice quarterback, but it wasn't like, an, hey, he's he's going to go. He has to go to. Yeah, he was a community was, college. He could guy. go to yeah. if someone wanted him. But yeah, like the, his path to to Cal, even yeah, it wasn't. Yeah, like the direct. high arm thing where he just you know there are concerns about you know is he going to be able to get the ball out quick enough? And NFL talent evaluators get really concerned about stupid things though. Like they're <laughs> they're like they're known for that. Like they they're just stupid that way. True. You know, like Russell Wilson's height also is a problem. Jaguars uh, taking a punter over Russell Wilson. Ooh, just saw a line drive to the face of a pitcher. I think it was Brian Mitchell. He got a baseball ooh. game on in the background. Really scary scene there at Yankee Stadium. Uh, closing things out here with the Eagles and Colts. Eagles 36-10 winners. Mark Sanchez looked bad in this one. Nelson Aguilar, very impressive. 
after the catch on a, a TD. It was a pass from Sanchez that basically almost went over his head. He went up to get it and then outran everybody uh, to basically just do all the work himself there. This this came a play after Jordan Matthews was missed wide open by Sanchez. Uh, Matt Barkley looked a lot better than Mark Sanchez. Results didn't look great for Barkley. They were better than they were for Sanchez. Kenyon Barner had a good day, 92-yard punt return for a touchdown, six carries for 29 yards and a touchdown. Didn't see DeMarco Murray in this one. Uh, Philip Dorsett looked good for the Colts, four catches for 51 yards. He did fumble, but it wasn't a case where he was failing to take care of the ball. Actually, it looked kind of like a just a really good defensive play that sort of stripped him there. Uh, any thoughts on Chip Kelly's Eagles or, or the Colts after their preseason debuts? I mean, not a lot to take away here. I, I do really like Jordan Matthews, but I think you have to you have to be a bit worried because, of course, Sam Bradford, all the injury history, if they end up having to turn to Sanchez or Barkley, uh, you know, I think you're going to have to really ex- temper expectations. Plus, I think this team's going to be running it a lot more than last year. I mean, they, of course, added uh, DeMarco Murray and Ma- Matthews, uh, Ryan Matthews. I think they're going to rely far more on the run uh, I think Chip Kelly wants to do that to kind of, you know, I think he wants to you know, keep that pace of play high, run a lot of plays, but I think he wants to uh, run it down team throats and really wear down defenses more and not, you know, kill the clock with, with incomplete passes as often. Yeah, I mean, I think that's that's the question. Are they going to be like the 2013 version of that offense where they, they just lead the league in rushing as a team and just crush it, or are they going to be the kind of – inconsistent version that we saw last year I think quarterback play goes a long way no Sam Bradford here is kind of a big deal I think Bradford clearly going to be their starter I don't think there's really a competition between Bradford and Sanchez at all so that's one of those things too or if if you have this idea that you have to draft Mark Sanchez if you have Sam Bradford I think you're wasting a roster spot yeah I think so too you didn't put Tebow in the outline I tried oh, to avoid him on purpose. He hit a rushing <laughs> touchdown in this yeah. one, and I mean, good for him to be him. collecting an NFL paycheck right yeah. now. And six of 12, 69 yards, uh, four for fifteen on the ground with the score. Do you think he's going to make the roster? Though, I mean, what's the point of car- carrying four QBs? But maybe they, maybe Sanchez or Barkley don't make it. Who knows? Uh, I think if you keep him, you can use him on special teams. So maybe yeah. that helps. Kind of depends on the makeup of some other roster spots. And I, I guess I don't know that roster well enough to know if there's like one other specialist that they would have to get rid of. Yeah, the new PAT rules. I mean, that was obviously a big thing when they signed him as a reason why uh, he could be of use to this team. Just help him at that in those goal line situations. Yeah, I wonder how much Kelly and the Eagles especially are going to go for two with the extra point yeah. being moved back considerably. I could see it them going for it quite a bit because yeah. that's a kind of a college that was the Oregon thing yeah, Oregon exactly. still does it even without them they yeah. score early and they just go for two right away I love just, that it just puts extra pressure football, on the other team yeah. yeah you're just trying to chase them that's a mad points Madden thing you know that's I love, how I play Madden, so. it's, it's more fun that yeah, way but exactly. I think it's also a good decision mathematically thank you for listening to the Roadwire Fantasy Football Podcast brought to you by DraftKings.com the leader in daily fantasy sports Use the promo code ROTOWIRE when you make your deposit for a free contest entry today. Also, check out ROTOWIRE for free for the next 10 days by going to rotowire.com slash pod if you're not currently a subscriber. Jake and Eric will be back with you tomorrow.
A Napa guy knows that by the foot, there's no better ride than an old station wagon. Room for six people facing forward, two people facing backward, and a whole lot of luggage, lumber, and bicycles haphazardly strapped to the roof. If you can parallel park that beast, you can park anything. And with some quality parts and a little Napa know-how, you can keep your land ship running longer, stronger. It's not obsolete. It's a rare treasure. That's Napa know-how. Napa know-how. 